Father God in heaven, you are great. You're awesome. You're powerful. You're ruling and reigning on your throne today, Lord. Man is not in charge. The universe is not in charge. God, you alone are in charge. And we love you and we praise you. God, there's nothing more important than hearing and knowing your word. I pray for every heart that's here this morning and watching online. Will you help us to focus on your word, to focus on the study and the exposition of your word, bring it to life, transform us, change us, challenge us. Lord, we love you. We love you with all of our hearts. Let your word go deep. In Jesus' awesome and powerful name I pray. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat. Great to see everyone this morning. Y'all ready to get in the word this morning? Let's do it. We are in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19 this morning. We're going to study the first 15 verses, but let's, let's look at the opening six or seven verses so we see the direction that the scripture is taking us this morning. So Matthew chapter 19, verse 1 says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And a great multitude followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, Have you not read he who made them at the beginning, made them male and female? And he said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. As we study these first 15 verses this morning, uh, give us open hearts to soak in your word, to believe your word, to trust your word, and to live by your word. In Jesus' awesome and powerful name I pray, amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Marriage, Singleness, and Children. That's what we're studying this morning. We're looking at the theology of marriage, singleness, and children. What does the Bible say about these three things. And the Bible says a lot about them, but it's, it's, it's throughout the New Testament, Old Testament, and in the Gospels. But what I love about this passage, the most important thing I see in this passage is the great expositor. <laughs> the great expositor. Who is your favorite expository teacher? We all have a, a teachers that we like that teach verse by verse through the Bible. Some are online. Maybe some of you guys like my teaching. I don't know, but there's different people out there that teach verse by verse through the Bible. Who is your favorite? Who, who is your favorite? These are men who read the scripture, explain the scripture, and then apply the scripture. You know, that's basically what a preacher's job is. It's not to get up in front of the, the congregation and try to create something new, something that's going to, you know, make them feel good, but it's just to read the scripture, explain the scripture, and apply the scripture. And when you do those three things, it brings out the full meaning of Scripture. And the greatest expositor of all time, I heard somebody say it a while ago, is Jesus. 
Jesus, so here we are this morning. We're going to study Jesus' words, but this is Jesus' uh, exposition of the book of Genesis. So we're, we're, we're studying the exposition of an exposition. It's pretty cool. You know, in this, this morning in our text, the Pharisees will ask Jesus a question about divorce, okay? They just ask him a simple question about divorce. But instead of a simple answer from the law, Jesus is going to launch into a full-on exposition of marriage, singleness, and children. He goes back to creation and starts there. He gives us a full and complete understanding of marriage, singleness, and children. So that is, we, I am just one beggar to another delivering to you what the scripture says. And we're going to talk about each verse. We're going to read it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about application. And we're going to talk about what the text means. That's what it means to, to uh, exposit scripture is to dive into it and see exactly what it's saying. So without further ado, let's dive in. Let's read uh, Matthew chapter 19. We'll read the first three verses. It says, Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and a great multitude followed him, and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason. So Jesus goes beyond the Transjordan. He's, he's healing people. And the Pharisees, if you haven't figured that out by now, they do not like Jesus because Jesus is threatening their legalism. He's threatening their system of, 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 of being a Pharisee that was only about three or 400 years old from the intertestamental period. They had developed this uh, rigid structure and belief in the law they moved away from faith and belief and trusting in God to being legalistic. And they do not like Jesus. So what do they do in the Gospels? We see this repeatedly, is they try to trip him up. So here they press him on the subject of divorce. Instead of giving a simple answer, Jesus gives a full-on theological discourse on man, woman, marriage, and then after he gives that full-on discourse, then he answers the question about divorce. So let's take a look at it. Um, and notice in verse 2, uh, if, if you're taking notes, at the end of verse 2, the New King James says that they, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just the keyword, any reason, any reason. That, that key, I'm going to bring it back to you in about 15 minutes, but it's key to understand that they say that, any reason. Let's continue, verse 4. And he answered them and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? You see, the Pharisees, they wanted to talk about divorce. But Jesus goes back to creation to talk about the first man and the first woman. He's actually quoting from Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 here, where it says, God created Two genders. Look at it, verse 4 in your Bible. Verse 4, it says, made them male and female. And not only is this a God truth, not only is this a spiritual truth, but he outfitted them physically. He outfitted them physically with XX chromosome or XY chromosome. He gave them different private parts for their future uh, union and their ability to make life. 
So the first thing he's teaching the Pharisees is, hey, I created life. In the very beginning, I created man and I created woman. Okay, so that's the foundation of that Jesus is laying in this exposition before he gives an answer of divorce, marriage, and, and man and woman. First he establishes, hey, I created man, I created woman. And what we need to understand today is this, that you are complete, friends and family, you are complete in who you are. You are complete in your identity. You are 100% you. You are male or you are female. You are man or you are woman. And God makes no mistakes. He created you perfectly. You are created, every single human being. Okay, take this to heart. I'm going to read this slowly. I got it right here in my notes, so I make sure I say it. You are created for his glory and his special purposes, okay? You are created in the image of God with a plan and a purpose in this life. You are uh, imago Dei. You know what that means? You are created in his image. On the inside of you, physically on the outside, we see the physical side of us. But on the inside of us is a spiritual being. And in that spiritual being, you are imago Dei. You are created in his image. In other words, you are created to have fellowship with God, okay? You were designed that way. You were wired that way, okay? That's your most important purpose and reason for being here on earth is so that you can have a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. You are unique and you ready for this? We're, 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 we're just passing through time. A hundred years from now, nobody, all of us will not be here. Either, we'll, we, either we'll, be, we'll have stepped into eternity, but we will not be here in this life. Here in this life, in the here and now, there will never, ever be another person like Olympia. Olympia is unique. And, and Olympia is special. And Andy and Jay, and Bud, and, and everyone here, you are unique. God made you a special person for this time and day to serve him and to live for him. So, you, so look, look at your neighbor right now for a second and just say, look at your neighbor and say, you are special and created in his image. We need to, we need to take that to heart. You're not, you're, not, you're not the product, you're not within the product uh, of random processes. You're not the result of pond, pond scum. You are created in his image, and you are very special. In, created in his image. You need to understand that life is valuable because God created it. So now he establishes the fact of man and woman. Look at verse 5. He takes it to the next level before he answers the question. And he said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now here, Jesus is quoting Genesis 2.24, where God defines marriage as one man and one woman. It is a spiritual and a physical bond between a husband and wife. Did you know that God is in the union of marriage? God, God is in the union of marriage. Let me explain. God uses the union of man and woman to be, bring about his greatest miracle. 
You know what his greatest miracle is? Life. He uses a, a husband and wife get to partake in the greatest, one of the greatest supernatural miracles in our existence. And that is the miracle of life. God designed their physical bodies to come together like a glove. It's called sex. That's right. I said sex. Think about it. It is this mind-blowing, amazing, very enjoyable experience between a husband and wife that God uses to create the miracle of life. It's beautiful. And there's nothing sinful or evil about it or like, don't talk about that. It's beautiful. God talks about it. It's beautiful. The, the miracle of life is a testimony to the truth that marriage is between a one man and one woman. Now, in verse 6, he continues, So then, they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Verse 6. So the two flesh become one flesh. God joins man and woman together. How many of you guys ever heard of the old uh, Hebrew proverb about how man and woman were created in the garden? Anybody ever heard the, the Hebrew proverb? Anybody ever heard that phrase, the Hebrew proverb for the creation of man and woman? I want to read it to you. And basically, it's, a, it's an ancient Hebrew proverb that talks about the creation of man and woman. And it goes like this. There, there it is. God took Eve out of Adam's side, not out of his head that she would rule over him, not out of his foot that he would walk over her, not out of his front that she would go before him, not out of his back that she would follow behind, but rather, I love this, but rather under his arm that he might protect her and that she be near to his heart that he might love her. And there God gave Adam to Eve and Eve to Adam, and they were complete together. You see, marriage is, is a bonding. It's a coming together between a man and a woman in holy matrimony, and it's meant for life. And it's, it's meant to be deep. It's, it's meant to be intimate. And it's meant to be fulfilling. Marriage is meant to be a portrait, also New Testament, um, is, marriage is meant to be a portrait of our relationship to Christ. Did you know that? Paul says in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 22, he says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. His body, which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing, cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. So there's this beautiful, intimate relationship between the husband and wife. Now, our world has twisted that word submit. You know, especially in the religious world, they've, you know, uh, wives submit to your husband. In other words, do what he says. Or, or obey him. He's the master. That is not what the New Testament conveys 
as the understanding of the word submit. When it says wives submit to your husbands, that word simply means allow your husband to be the leader of the family, okay? This is not about a dictatorship or, or who's in charge or who's the head honcho and who's submissive and quiet, never heard. That, that, that is not biblical Christianity, okay? And, and, and so, so the, the, wife, the wife allows her husband to lead the family and then look at what the husband, what does the husband do? Think about this, ladies. This is every woman's dream. This is what every wife's dream is to have a husband that does what? Lay his life down. What's difficult here? The men, think about it. Husbands, think about it. Scripture tells you and I not to dominate, dictate, overlord our, our wives. No, it says, you husbands, lay your life down. Lay your life down to serve your family, to serve your wife. That is the portrait. Just like Jesus laid his life down for us at the cross, so husbands ought to lay their lives down for their wives. And, 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 and I, me understanding what Jesus did for me me understanding the great sacrifice he made for me at the cross, I'm like, oh, Lord, I submit to you. I submit to you. Lord Jesus, you lead the way. I'll follow. It's a beautiful, intimate relationship, not this dictator and, and Lord-type relationship, but a beautiful relationship in the marriage between a husband and a wife. Let's continue. Verse 7. Verse 7, now Jesus finally is starting to turn the corner and get to their question. Look at it, verse 7. They said to him, why then... Did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? Now, looking at verse 7, I want you to take note. Why then did Moses, look at the key word, command. Remember I told you in the very beginning, verse um, 3, I said, verse 3, I said, keep in mind the word, the phrase, any reason. I want you to remember this in verse 7 where it says, why then did Moses, the key word is Command. Uh, the, the Pharisees used that word command. In the first century, there were two schools of thought on divorce, and they were all based on an interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. Let's take a look at it. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1 says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, but, excuse me, puts it in her, in her hand and sends her out of his house. Now, the interpretation that the Pharisees are trying to get to in this question in the Gospel of Matthew is over this word uncleanness. I circled it for you. What does this some uncleanness mean? That's what they're trying to get to. Well, in the first century, there were two schools of thought, and I'm going to put them up on the screen for you. There was the school of Hillel and, and the school of Shammai. The school of Hillel was a liberal view, okay? The school of Hillel, it says that a man could divorce his wife, if, if she, you, you, can, you can read it for yourself, if she did not find grace in his sight, if she went out into the streets with her hair loose, if she spun around in public, if she talks with another man, if she burns his toast, she's out. If she's a noisy woman. This 
was the liberal, in the first century, there was two groups, and this was the liberal view, the school of Hillel. The school of Hillel was liberal. They said, man, if you don't want her, just divorce her. If you don't want her, just, just write her a certificate of divorce and move on in life. But then there was another school, the school of Shammai, and the school of Shammai taught uh, that divorce was, was, divorce was if, if there was sexual immorality that could be proven by witnesses. So back here in our, our text of chapter 19, Jesus is, uh, they're, they're, they're basically saying, what is it, Jesus? Is it the school of Shammai or is it the school of Hillel? That's what's going on here in this text. That's what's going on. Is they're trying to figure out because there's multiple interpretations of this text. Let's look at let's look at let's look at Jesus' response. Look at verse 8. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. Um, bring Bring back up, uh, first of all, looking at verse 8, notice it says, um, permitted. Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted. That's the key word in that verse. Um, Rick, bring up verse 7. But, they, but look at what their question was. Why did Moses command? So Jesus corrects their statement. They, they were saying back at verse 7, why then did Moses command? Why did Moses command a certificate of divorce? And Jesus is correcting them in verse 8, saying he didn't command nothing. He permitted. That's very important to see that. It, 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 was, it was permitted because, because, of the, um, because of the adultery. Look at verse 9. He said, and here he answers the question. And so I say to you, he answers the question of which school, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. So Jesus is telling the Pharisees here in Matthew chapter 19 that the school of Shammai is correct, that it's adultery and sexual immorality that can be proven is grounds for a divorce, for a biblical divorce. Now, let me emphasize this. Jesus did not say that adultery mandates divorce. I know many marriages that have experienced adultery and by God's grace have been healed and restored. Adultery is not a death sentence provided the guilty spouse is repentant and the other spouse is willing to forgive. But I have also seen adultery so crush a marriage through lies, deception, and fornication that there's nothing left to rebuild, and it ends in divorce. And the bottom line is we live in a fallen world, and there are times where adultery, lies, and deceptions so ruin a marriage that there is biblical grounds for a divorce. So it was permitted because of the condition of our world and the damage that it does to a marriage. Sometimes it just completely wrecks the marriage and dissolves it through lies and deception. But it doesn't always mean it's a death sentence. It can be restored. 
But there can be grounds, and I believe there are scriptural grounds, biblical grounds for um, divorce to take place. Let's continue, verse 10. So his disciples said to him, they, 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 they get this at verse 10. Man, they, they get the full meaning. They're like, whoa. Look at verse 10. His disciples said to him, if such is the case of the man with his wife, it is better not to marry. All of a sudden, they have a revelation. They have an understanding of how serious marriage really is, how serious of a matter and how it shouldn't be taken lightly. You know, let's, let's be honest. Today, 2023, marriage can be difficult. Uh, you know, be careful who you pick and exchange vows with. You know, it can be very difficult and it can be very challenging. Now, you may say, well, Pastor David, I don't, I don't feel called to get married. You know what? That's, there is an alternative to marriage. There is an alternative in our life to um, to, to marriage. Not everyone has to get married. That's a common thing in our world today. You know, the, the pressure is on. Get married, get married, get married. Well, that doesn't come from Scripture. Now, if you feel led to and you desire, then get married. But marriage is not for everyone. There is an alternative. Look at the next verse. He's going to give an example from the first century. But Jesus said to them, all cannot accept the saying, but only those whom it has been given. For there are enochs who were born thus from their mother's womb. Talking about birth defects. There are enochs who were made eunuchs by men. These were customs for servants in the first century who guarded harems. And there were enochs who have made themselves enochs for the kingdom for heaven's sake. I believe he's speaking figuratively here. And it's talking about people pursuing God. He who was able to accept it, let him accept it. There is an alternative to marriage, and it is staying single. And we don't look down upon that. That is godly. That is a, um, it's a gift from the Holy Spirit, as we see in Scripture. But that is a calling for, for many to, to, to not marry and to be fully devoted to Christ. Is, is, now, he's not teaching that here. I'm, I'm going to show it to you in Corinthians in a minute. But, he, but he's given a modern-day illustration that marriage is not for everyone in verses um, in, uh, 11 and 12. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7 says this. I wish that all of you were as I am. Talking about Paul being single. For each of you has your own, here it is, gift from God. He's talking about marriage and singleness. Your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that gift. In other words, some people are meant to marry, some people are not meant to be married. The Bible teaches this. When it comes to uh, singleness or being married, it is not a matter of one being better than the other. It is how has God gifted you? How has God gifted you? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7 says that these are a gift from the Lord, your own gift from God. If you desire to marry, God bless you. Get married. If you desire to stay single, God bless you. Stay single. The most important thing is, is that you serve Christ. That's the, that's the most important thing in this life is that you serve the Lord. Listen, in that same chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 
verse 32 through 35, he applies this to the man and the woman. He says, uh, I would like you I would, I would like you to be free from concern. Now, he's talking about those staying single. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs and how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs, her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way, undivided in devotion to the Lord. There in verses 32 through 35, in the opening verse, he says, free from concern. You know, that, that's the benefit of being single. You, there, there's a lot of benefit in being single because you're free from the concerns of the married life and you can give more time to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is a great, wonderful benefit of being single. He says you're more concerned, it's in that same verse, about the Lord's affairs. You're more concerned on how to please the Lord. Verse 33, he applies it to the married man. Verse 30. Four, halfway through verse 34, he applies it to uh, the woman, but at the very end of it, he says that you, in undivided devotion to the Lord, that's the point that Paul is driving home, that your relationship with Christ is above everything, including whether you marry or stay single, that you be completely devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the cool thing. If God calls you to be single, if, if you stay single, guess what? You're still married. You're still married. You're married to Christ. Because and, and being in a right relationship with Christ is a million times better than any, any marriage. You are part of the bride, the body of Christ, who's married to her Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, if God calls you to marriage, pursue marriage. If, if you say, you know what, marriage is not for me, okay, that's fine. Then, then be single and give wholehearted devotion to Christ. So let's continue verse 13. Verse 13. So he's talked about marriage. He's talked about singleness. And now in verse 13, Jesus is going to transition to children. He says, then little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked him. And Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not forbid them. For of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. So here, Christ has given us a, another theological discourse on the value and the importance of our children. You know, mom and dad, y'all... I know how I feel. I know how y'all feel, man. Our children, man, they're our gold. My son and my daughter, they are my gold. You mess with my kids, you messing with me. Anybody, can I relate to that thought? You don't mess with your children because you love them so much. You would move heaven and earth for your sons and your daughters. Well, how much more will God move heaven and earth for his, his children 
He loves children. And God gives special attention to little children in the scripture. Psalms 127 verse 3 says, Children are a heritage from the Lord, the offspring of a reward from him. A parent's top priority, mom and dads, your top priority above baseball, above gymnastics, above the swim team, is that you bring your children to faith in Christ, that you, that you give them a platform to trust in Christ because that is the single greatest decision they will ever make in this life is, is to trust in Christ. So, uh, Baptist Theological Seminary professor and pastor Dustin Bench, I got this quote from him off of uh, Twitter. Dustin Bench says this, there is a 0.0296% chance that your child will become a professional athlete. There is a 0.0086% chance that your child will become a famous celebrity. There is a 100% certainty that your child will stand before Jesus. You know, our most important goal in our life when it comes to our children is to, is to evangelize them, to love them, to shepherd them, and to be there for them. I don't care what my son and daughter does in life. I, I don't care where they go, what they do. I will always love them. I will always care for them. And I know that you feel the exact same way. I know you, you feel the exact same way. That's how we feel about our kids. Well, if we love them that much, how much more does God? How much more does God care for children? We need to teach our children there's nothing more important than their salvation. We need to teach them that there is a real Savior, Christ Jesus, who loves them. And he wants to bless them just as Jesus did these little children here in Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 15. Interesting fact, um, this text here where he blesses the little children, this is the only place in the Bible where Jesus blesses sinners. Do you know that? This is the only place in the Bible where Jesus blesses sinners. And that's because every little child is kept under his grace until they are old enough to understand the gospel. So what happens to all the little children who die before they have a chance to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior? I believe they go straight to heaven. Jesus blessed them here to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. And, and there, there's an age of accountability. What is that exact age? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I have no idea. It, I think it's, it's different for different folks. But there comes an age where a child has an understanding as an adult. Okay, who am I going to serve? Who am I going to believe in? I believe that is the age of accountability. But any child that, that dies before that, I believe they're covered under the beautiful grace of God. You know, God has a special care for little children, and we need to understand that. They're not property. They're not, they're not assets. They're not just tax deductions, even though that is a great benefit of them. But they, they are beautiful. They are precious in our sight, and they are precious in God's sight. God has a special care for little children, their innocence, and that mom and dad teach them about who he is. Now, maybe, maybe you're at a point in life where your children have gotten older, and you didn't have that opportunity to lay that foundation, 
It's never too late, friends. It's never too late, mom and dads, to reach out to your older children and to say, hey, I love you. I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. How are you doing? Hey, by the way, uh, Tommy, I, I read this passage today and I thought about you. When you get a chance, will you read it? You can plant all kinds of seeds in their life. I don't care if, if you're 90 years old and your kids are 70 years old. It's never too late to pour in to your children's lives and to show them that you love them, that you care for them. Be compassionate towards them. Be gracious towards them. Show them kindness, the, the same kindness and love and grace that God has shown you. Show it to your kids. Show it to your kids. And maybe you're here this, this morning and, or you're watching online and, you know, and you're thinking about marriage, you're thinking about singleness, pray. Pray and ask the Lord. Say, Lord, show me. What do you have for me in this life? Is it to be married or is it to be single? Is it to give wholehearted devotion through being single? Or maybe there's a spouse out there for me to marry and serve together. But the passage, the, the point of this text this morning was Jesus' theological discourse and correcting the Pharisees' understanding of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 24, verse 1. But did you notice how they, uh, how they twisted it? How, how they twisted it back at uh, verse 7? They said to him, why did Moses command? Pharisees, Moses did not command. It was, it was Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, verse 8, he permitted it. He permitted it because we live in a fallen world. My prayer and hope this morning is that you have a better understanding uh, of marriage, of singleness, and of children. And let's cherish life. Let's give thanks to God for life. Let's give thanks to God for our family and for our loved ones. And let's encourage each other in our Christian faith and our walk with the Lord. Amen? Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for this morning's study in Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 15, Lord. And Father, we receive your word. Help us to live by it. Help us to trust it. And we thank you for it, Father. And we just ask you to change and transform our hearts. For us in the mighty and powerful name of the Lord Jesus, I pray. Amen.